attractions to the same sex, unprocessed childhood trauma, porn addiction. Our marriage seemed doomed. If marriage is primarily about attraction, it was. If marriage is a gospel picture, it absolutely wasn't. An impossible marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love in the gospel, a book endorsed by Matt and Lauren Chandler, Ann Voskamp, Gabe Lyons, and Marvin Williams is now available for pre-order. Find it at impossiblemarriage.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 143, Impossible Marriage Moments, Single People Live the Metaphor Too. Hello, welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am with my favorite licensed therapist, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hey. Hey, of course, we do have the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. And guys, before we get rolling here, I just need to ask, are there any married people listening out there? How you doing? You doing okay? Also, single people with married friends, are they actually doing okay? Because I need you to give them a little elbow jab and tell them about something that we have going on. It is this Impossible Marriage Workshop. It's coming up on October 24. It's a virtual event. Matt and I are going to be there, so it's going to be our combination of weird and deep (laughs) and hopefully very practical. We have been working our tails off on creating this workbook and videos, and it's going to be happening in person from 9 to 3. It's only 28 bucks. Go to our site. You get these beautiful workbooks and do it with maybe your small group. You could do it that day live with us, or you could do it over chunks of time because you're going to have a couple of weeks to access those videos. LoriCreek.com is where you can find that information. But guys, I just asked Matt if he ever thought that this book would be in existence. And the answer is no, 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 no. We did not plan on writing this book. We didn't say, boy, when we were in our marital pain, uh, did we want to write about it? But God uh, put it in our hands, so to speak. And I'm holding it here if you're watching us on the old YouTubes. Uh, But it's called An Impossible Marriage. And we are in part two of three on our series, focusing on some of the themes from the book. And our friend, our dear, precious friend, Greg Coles, is here to tell you why single people should, I don't know, I don't even know what verb to use there, Greg, I'm going to let you do it, (laughs) are welcome to, we'll say that as the married side of this conversation, are welcome to read this marriage book. And I really, I want to talk about uh, how single people and married people this is in my notes, I'm going to read it, can chill the heck out and see each other as equally valuable. Sound good, everybody? We're going to do that. So Greg Coles, welcome. Hey, thanks. I'm delighted to talk about single people and married people chilling the heck out. Can't wait. Thank you. The notes say it, so that's what we'll do. Okay, guys, if you do not know Greg and don't love him the way we do, you should. Uh, But he's been on the podcast before. We're going to link to that episode. You can get some of his backstory and about his first book. There's a second one coming out, and we're going to interview him about that in the springtime. But he is the author of Single Gay Christian, A Personal Journey of Faith and Sexual Identity, That's the one we interviewed him about, and it's amazing. And the one that's coming out in February, right? Yes, February 23rd. Pre-order it now. It's called No Longer Strangers, 
Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. I read it, loved it, read it in like a day. So hmm, please, please, please. It's beautiful. He holds a PhD in English from Penn State and lives in central Pennsylvania, where he works as a writer, speaker, and worship leader. Greg is a frequent contributor to the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender and curates most of his creative activities at GregoryColes.com. So I'm not just saying this because I'm like, oh, I just want to market him. I do want to do it because it's like people will ask me, Lori, what two books should we read about the LGBT conversation? And my most go-to ones are People to be Loved, Preston Sprinkle, and Single Gay Christian, Greg Coles. So there you go. Greg. Oh, shucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Greg, we're going to dive into this singleness and chilling the heck out thing, but let's just derail for a hot second. And let's talk about the question of the week from last week, which it's this. You audience members did not disappoint to the answers to this question. What's the water bottle you carry around with you? Are you a milk jug? I'm stereotyping guy, but I usually see dudes with a big old milk jug full of water, a Yeti. Okay, Greg, let's start with you. Everyone carries water bottle. What's yours? Okay, so I actually have three water bottles, not to be super extra here. Please but do. They're, be they're very contextual. So if I'm going somewhere in my car, I have a green water bottle. It's like a camelback style with the flip top that you can suck on, but it's not an actual camelback. It's off brand. Oh, duh. Um, that's bright green. Yes. Uh, if I'm not if I'm not using my car, but I'm bringing my backpack, I have my orange water bottle that looks like a Tide bottle. So I sort of feel like I'm drinking detergent out of it. Uh, that's great. It carries a full liter. And if I'm traveling by plane, I don't bring either of those water bottles. I have a sleek metal water bottle um, that I got from InterVarsity um, that has one of those like double chamber setups so that it holds the temperature of your water really, really well. So that's my airplane water bottle. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Everyone's got a story, and I love it. <laughs> Matt Creek, we're jumping to you. What's your deal? Yeah, well, I really like what Victor had to say on Facebook. He says, none. Dehydration is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> he followed up, though. And then he followed up saying, just kidding. Don't get dehydrated. So many headaches, but I really don't carry a water bottle. And the sad part is, I have a Yeti that I've carried at one point, but I rarely ever carried around so i had to grab this from the fridge when we got here two ounces so yeah it's like two ounces of water i'll drink it and one chug (laughs) and then i'll be thirsty again in five minutes Ew, a therapist with like thirsty with your voice like being all snappy you gotta work on that babe (laughs) i need to help you (laughs) sorry okay steven mouth noises yes uh yeah i really appreciated uh what amanda shared by the way, Amanda, she does the Heart of the Matter Facebook discussion. Um, so just shout out there. A 24-ounce Contigo Snap Lid water bottle. I have two of them. The blue lid must go on the blue bottle. The silver lid must go on the silver bottle. Ask me how I know. LOL. Um, I just like this comment because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably emulate her. It sounds like a good bottle. And here's what I've got. It's just a cup with a straw and the lid screws off. It's, I don't know, it's some, what was it? Aladdin. Aladdin. That's my water bottle. I need like a real, like legit one like Amanda has. I think you're supposed to put genies in that bottle. Yes. Well, they've already been let out, so. 
Now it's just water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that heart of the matter that Steve was talking about, that's on our Hold My Heart podcast Facebook group. You can join it and join a discussion that's happening every other week about the podcast. It's pretty cool. I appreciated this. Hello, my name is Justin Diaz and I am from Panama. Uh, well, my water bottle is usually an orange juice jug, so I reuse them. I just wash them and then, I don't know, this all started when I was in college and some of my friends just decided to do drawings on my water jug. And now I just usually try to draw in with so a few things like the map of my country or things that are meaningful to me. So instead of milk jug, it's orange juice. I love it. I did like other conversations that people had. You mentioned, Greg, the cold water situation. I actually like drinking tap like tap water at room temperature. Mm-hmm. It drives Matt crazy. <laughs> All right. Heart of the matter. Let's dive into the heart of the matter on this episode. Greg, we've asked you this before. We're just, let's just do a little refresh. Refresh for the audience. Gospel, good news. If the gospel is I'm more loved than I imagine, yet more sinful than I believe, when... Was that gospel first good news for you, and how is it still today? I'm actually super fascinated to later go back and listen to what I said last time I was on the podcast, because I have no idea if what I say today will be the same or different. (sighs) There are a lot of ways of telling the same story, I suppose. For me, uh, my, my first memory of thinking really seriously about the gospel is when I was about seven years old. Uh, And I was growing up in Indonesia, which at the time was going through a lot of political upheaval, which I think in my head was blown even more out of proportion than it really was in real life. And in real life, it was already kind of an upheaval. And so I was looking at this in this national situation and thinking I might die and I should be prepared for that eventuality. So in my in my earliest thought, I thought God is offering me this really great gift and I have not much to offer him in return, like my measly seven-year-old life. And I was like, this seems like a really good exchange, like my measly life in exchange for everything that God has. Now, I continue to believe that that's a really good exchange, my measly life for everything that God has, but it has gotten more complicated as I have grown older. Um, Certainly being gay, among other things, has been one of those things that as I've wrestled with my sexuality, I've come to realize that I'm really not naturally good at living a life that is not about me. Mm. Um, That the natural state of my soul is that I would always like the story to be more about me. Um, And uh, as I've, as I've leaned into following Jesus, a couple things that I've discovered, one is that uh, Jesus loves me before I get it right. Uh, He loves me even in the moments when I try to make it about me. Um, But also I've realized that the more I lean into the reality that Jesus loves me, the more I'm motivated to love him in return, and the more I'm motivated to actually make my life a life that is about about Jesus and not fundamentally about me, about my own wants or desires, um, that recognizes that God will meet those things, but that the exchange that I remember from my childhood is still a great exchange to seize Mm -hmm. upon. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. You just tied both questions in the same time. It's like you do this for a living or a writer or very good with words. Do you have a PhD in English? So love it. Great. Okay. We're on, we're on a great track guys. Okay. So I've been asked 
this question and I, I respond in my own way just about how why should single people how do they live the metaphor too and so I'm just going to read just the beginning part of where I talk about this in our book and then I just need Greg to take what I said and make it even better are we okay with that I'm okay with that Okay, here we go. Okay, this is page five if you all want to follow along. (laughs) And I'm addressing different groups of people who might be reading this book, and I address single people reading a marriage book. This is what I say. You might well be thinking, oh no, not another book about marriage. But we have found we are equally passionate about singleness as we are about marriage, and we're committed to exhorting the church every time we speak on marriage to see singleness as we believe Jesus does. Married or single, these are the modes in which we undertake the mission to make disciples, 1 Corinthians 7, 35. One is not better than the other. They're just different, different modes and different metaphors. When we married people love each other well, we serve as a metaphor to single people for how God wants to become one with them. When single people love Jesus well and have beautiful relationship with the church body, they serve as a metaphor to us for how we will all be in eternity. Although this book focuses on marriage, we haven't and won't forget you, our incredible single friends. So I know when I meet people like you, Greg, and my 70-something dear friend, she, when I talk to her, she's been single like the majority of her life. And um, I'll talk to her. She'll talk to me. Then she's talking to Jesus. Then she's talking to me. And then she's talking to her friend. And she's talking to Jesus. And I'm like, is Jesus in this room right now? And they're like, oh, he is. But it just shows me. I'm like, that's how heaven's going to be. So, Greg, help us. <laughs> help us understand a little bit how single people can live the, quote, metaphor as well. So when I think about living the metaphor in marriage, uh, one, of the, one of the things I think about is the reality that to be unified with another person, that requires uh, dying to yourself, which is to say dying to the story in which your life is primarily about you, dying to the story in which you are the hero, you are the one around whom everything revolves. Uh, and, and letting your story instead become a story that's fundamentally about somebody else. Right. And so when I look at human marriage, one of the things that I think is so beautiful about that done well is that you see these people saying, hey, I want to lay down my life in the way that I would naturally tell the story about myself. And I want to tell a story in which my life is also about you. Mm. Now, when I so one of the things I, I loved about your book, and I I trust I'll have more opportunities to gush later about <laughs> things that I loved about your book. So I won't do all my gushing right now. Um, but one of the things that I loved about your book is that I think we, you show so clearly the necessity of that death to self, the mm. necessity of the death of the story in which your life or your marriage is fundamentally about you, about your own happiness, about the warm fuzzies that you receive once you say I do, mm. um, that, that, that marriage has to be about something else in order to be meaningful, in order to work as the thing that it's supposed to be. Mm. Uh, and so when I think about what it looks like for single people to live a similar metaphor in our vocation as single, um, it strikes me that we as followers of Jesus are called to the very same thing, that we're, we're called to live our lives in such a way that it is no longer fundamentally about ourselves. Um, Snaps and, for that. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and in singleness, one of the things that's, that's so cool is that uh, have, having said hey, there's actually no other single human being who I feel called to make that commitment with 
in this lifetime. I can say the entirety of my life is just about saying, let me do the best to identify the story of Jesus as it intersects with my life and ask, how can I stop making my life be the story of Greg Coles and start making my life be the story of Jesus in which I play a small supporting role, but Mm -hmm. get to sort of throw myself fully into it, get to say like, everything about me like every every aspect of my embodiment every aspect of my time every aspect of what what meager resources i have to offer gets to be laid down in the service of something else and so that's the metaphor that all of us as followers of jesus get to live um but for those of us who are single we get to live it with with an extra measure of like this is literally the only thing i got going on like I don't have a, I don't, I don't got a wife. I don't got kids. Like literally all I've got is like, let's lean in on this Jesus thing. Uh, And there's something really beautiful about that. When it's so refreshing, again, my single friends, which I feel like it's at least half of my friends, at least, um, who are running after Jesus. You guys, you wake me up from my like, ugh, toddlers. Like exactly what Paul says. Like you, you're, you're, Value, your desires or your uh, perspective is divided. So you get this singularity and it just, you remind me of what the purpose of my life is. So thank you. What you got, Matt? Well, okay. So you, you beautifully talked about kind of this illusion. And, and when you say oneness, like with the entirety of, of, of Christian, you know, the body, um, I, I would think of John 17, you know, when it says, okay, we are called to be one in a way that represents God's like oneness in himself. Like the, the, our oneness together is something that, that points to God's love for the world. Um, but when it, when it comes to, it seems like just, there's this natural divide. Married people tend to hang out more with married people. Single people tend to spend their time more with single people. And so what can we do? What are some ways that we can help to, to make sure we're like not having this divide, you know, in the body that, that single people are able to serve married and vice versa. So whenever I approach a question like that one, like what, what can we do better? I always want to start with the question of what can I or people in a similar position to me do better? Uh, so, so let me start there and then we can, we can maybe hop over to my suggestion for the marrieds among us. Thank you. Um, because I'm full of suggestions for married people. I have so many opinions about marriage. Let me tell you, I can't wait to lay them all on you. <laughs> um, We're ready. But, but I think for single folks, I think one of the things that's that's really important, some internal work that we need to do before we're ready to really share the body with married folks in a, in a way that is healthy, um, is we need to stop seeing the vocation of singleness as one that's fundamentally defined by deprivation. Mm. Um, that, that's fundamentally about all the things we're not doing, all the sex we're not having, um, all, the, all the relational intimacy that we don't get to enjoy, all the tax forms that we have to fill out as single. And, and, and we need instead, I think, to, to really lean into uh, the, the beauty that comes with the kind of intimacy that that we get to enjoy with Jesus as single people. Um, I I remember having a, a fascinating conversation with with a friend once, where she was she was asking me about the Song of Solomon, and she was like, "I like reading the Song of Solomon, and I'm married, and I feel like it tells me a lot." But she was like, 
what does the Song of Solomon say to you if you're single? And and I said, at the risk of sounding very scandalous, I was like, I don't want this to come across as me saying that, like, it's about, like, feeling erotic feelings for Jesus, because that's not what I'm right. saying. But there is a sense in which the Song of Solomon is ultimately instructive for the way we are supposed to feel about God and God is supposed to feel about us. Because it's not at all coincidental that the Bible, looking for really good human metaphors that can help explain the relationship we're supposed to have with Jesus, is like, hey, it's kind of like Jesus is the groom and you guys are the bride. What's the what's the most thorough biblical image we have of that? It's the Song of Solomon, which has some pretty steamy desire in there. And the point is, there, there's a there's a kind of desire, there's a kind of deep intimacy that we get to enjoy um, as as single people uh, that we really get to lean in and say like, hey, literally, literally, the only person who has complete access to this here Greg Colsian body is Jesus. Mm. Um, there's something Song of Solomon-ish about that. Yes. Uh, and I think the more we can lean into that as a beautiful thing, such that our interaction with married folks is not one where we say, ah, yes, there are the people who have all the things that I wished I had. But instead, we can just say, hey, here are the people who were called to a different sort of vocation and who do enjoy some, some beautiful things differently than I do. And yet I also enjoy a beautiful sort of intimacy. And it's it's different but but the difference is good and beautiful, and it is part of what it is meant to be. Mm. Um, the body of Christ is actually purposeful in having people who are called to one vocation and another vocation um, instead of uh, turning us all into carbon copies of each other. Mm. Uh, so I think the, the healthy question that we can ask any of us, single or married, as we're thinking about fostering unity within the body of Christ between us is— how does my vocation equip me to serve the body of Christ and to be the body of Christ to the world in a way that a different vocation would not? Mm -hmm. And then how does somebody else's vocation as single or married that's not my vocation, how does it equip them to do unique things in the world and for the world that I can't do? Um, I think the more we see each other as purposefully different characters in this joint story, um, the more ready we are to live as one without trying to think of ourselves as identical to each mm -hmm. other. Because I think so often that's the tension is we feel like if we want to be one, we've got to be identical, but we're not identical, therefore we are divided. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the more we can say, no, our difference is actually part of the genius of God, uh, that God didn't just want a whole bunch of fingers all assembled into a pile together, um, but God actually wanted a body made up of distinct parts that together differently do the whole work of the kingdom together. Okay, can I ask a question? This is not on the list, but this has been in my mind for a while and it just re-popped up. So, one thing about marriage is you have another person all up in your grill and then the dad kids, like all the time. And I don't mean that only negatively. I mean that to say, that selfishness thing that you were talking about, Greg, to make the, the story as our, our mutual friend, Kat, the Jay show, the Jesus show, as opposed to the Greg Cole show or the Lori or the Matt show. How 
I'm constantly getting like there's this sanctification process that is all day. And then again, adding kids. How do you, Greg, um, because that can be a difference is if you wanted to as a single person, it's not only a deprivation stance. It can also be a praise Jesus. I ain't got to work on that, you know. So how do you, Greg, stay in the sanctification game if you're not getting critiqued by maybe not critiqued <laughs> you know cupboards open toothpaste etc uh, uh, a quick story uh, b- before I answer your question properly which, I, which I swear I will um, but a, but first a quick story uh, which is that I I have I have taken to occasionally when I hear married people telling like their most horrific stories of like and then my child pooped into the air vent and covered it back up. And yes. we didn't discover until a week and a half later where the smell was coming from. Like just these stories that yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, when I hear these stories, I'll often try to find somebody who I can lean over to and whisper quietly, celibacy is a gift. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so so, so I, I will I will confess, certainly there, there are ways in which right. singleness can be sort of like, hey, here's an invitation. If I wanted to live selfishly, um, what a what a glorious uh, open path. I think it's it's been really important for me to remember that uh, the the capacity to live selfishly exists in both marriage and singleness, yep. but in different ways. Totally. And the capacity to live unselfishly exists in both marriage and singleness, but in different ways. Um, and I think for me, because I don't have some of the built-in checks that yeah. I might have if I were married, I don't have somebody who's constantly all up in my grill, as you as you have so eloquently <laughs> said, uh, because I don't have that, I think it requires me to foster relationships that are still intimate. Um, I think I think a lot of us think like, oh, if, if I'm not married, then I'm sort of uh, I don't have the same obligation as a married person would have to be sort of totally open with my soul. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pursue that kind of relational or emotional intimacy with anybody um, because I don't have a spouse to do it with. Um, but I think, uh, number one, I think if you're married, you, I hope that you're not going to your spouse with all of your relational and emotional needs. Right. Uh, I hope you're not expecting that all of your intimacy will be provided just by your spouse, because I think that's going to be a recipe for failure. Um, but also, uh, if, if you don't have that as a single person, I think it's all the more necessary to seek out other relationships where you do have that kind of intimacy um, because it's those people who know you well, who trust you and you trust them enough that when they see something in your life, they can speak to it and say, yo, Coles, you know how you said you wanted to live unselfishly for Jesus? I have observed that you suck at it. Yeah. Uh, right. And, and this is true. Like to some degree or another, we all suck at living unselfishly for Jesus, mm-hmm. but we need people who are close enough to us and who have the permission to inform us when we need to be informed. Uh, of the places where we're falling short. I love it. And I do just want to clarify, too, because I don't want to do like, oh, I'll open my grill with an eye roll. I am so grateful for Matt. And even to not just slap that on it, like God knows how to sanctify us the best and gift us the best. Like I, 
I really, I, I say that in the book. If I was not in a marriage relationship, I don't think I would have ever confronted that buried assault memory that you hear me working through. I'm not spoiling it. But I don't think I would have ever encountered a moment where I had I had to. I was so, even when I finally, it, it dawned on me when our daughter was born and it reawoken in me, um, I in counseling, I don't know if I say this exactly, but I did not want to dig it up. I didn't, I was just, would sit there and be like, I don't want to do this. Um, And so I can't imagine if I was single, like the impetus was marriage and kids. So God knows you, dear listeners, and he knows how to bless and sanctify you the best. And again, still off the page, but Greg, we've talked about this when we were speaking together I don't know, a year and a half or a couple years ago, you mentioned doing, giving a talk and you talked about the gift of singleness and what that word gift is. I've quoted you several times. Can you talk about gift of singleness? Yeah. Um, I, I, I hope, I hope whatever I said that you've quoted was, uh, <laughs> worth quoting. I hope, I hope I was right. Um, uh, I, I, I know I, I know I spoke to uh, two different Greek words for gift. I know I've said that before. Yep, that um, was the one. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah. So, so there, there are two major different Greek words for gift. Uh, one is the word doron, which is like a present that you hand someone. Like here is your Christmas present. Here is your doron. Um, and the other word uh, is charisma, um, which is where we get our word charismatic from in English. Um, and this is more, I mean, if you think about somebody who's charismatic in the way that they are, uh, it's not like somebody handed them a neatly tied package with a bow and was like, here, you are charismatic now. Um, <laughs> instead, uh, it's it's sort of a, uh, a, a gift in the sense of like, you are distinctly equipped for a certain way of being in the world. Um, and so, so we need to distinguish then between gifts that are given to us like Christmas presents so that we can enjoy the warm fuzzies and gifts that are given to us as part of our way of being in the world so that we can be a gift to the world around us. Mm. Um, And so, for instance, uh, when the Apostle Paul calls prophecy a gift, um, (laughs) prophecy is one of those gifts. Like if you look at the Old Testament prophets, they are not exactly having a fun time of it. You know, they're like wandering around naked for years and years and having to bake their bread over poop and naming their children things that you're like, that should really get you a call from Child Protective Services if you name your child that. They're doing these things that are quite unpleasant for Jesus. Um, And so uh, nobody, nobody would be like, if you got prophecy under the Christmas tree, you would be like, uh, can we, can we not like <laughs> no, nobody's, no, nobody's necessarily getting the warm fuzzies about the gift of prophecy. And yet Paul says, knowing all that Paul is like, you should eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Why? Because Paul is saying prophecy is one of those gifts that equips you really well to serve the world around you, to serve the body of Christ around mm. you. Um, and so similarly, then when we think about marriage and singleness as gifts, the wrong question to ask is, which gift do I want to receive under the Christmas tree? Which is the gift that will fill me with the warm fuzzies? Um, The right question to ask is, in which of these ways does God intend to make me a gift to the world around me? Mm. Um, 
So when people ask me if I have the gift of celibacy, sometimes I've taken to saying, you know, there are some gifts that you wish came with gift receipts. <laughs> and, and I think uh, I, that's true that like there are times when I'm like, could we return this thing? I'm not I'm not feeling it right now. And yet the more the more I lean into celibacy as a gift that is given to me, not so much for my own for my own kicks and giggles for my own enjoyment, but rather given to me so that I can be a gift to others. The more I lean into that, the more I begin to see the beauty of the possibility within it. So good. So good. And I'm sure married people, again, I'm always looking over, looking over, looking over. I'm sure they say, is this something that I can return? And then some of us do, Um, you know, it's just true. And so God, what is the charisma gift you've given us to be a gift to the world, which I don't think we can say what you, the theme you've been saying this whole uh, conversation, Greg, we can't say it enough that our life is not about us. And that's the best way. It's the best way is to live an inside out life and surrendered life. Matt, what you got? Well, I, I just want to circle back because, you know, Greg, you, you did say you had a laundry list of things that you could tell to us married folk about right. <laughs> what we could do. Please. And, and so I want to hear at least some of them. When I think about married people who have loved me really well, um, a, a couple particular uh, sets of friends come to mind. Um, but and I think before I before I speak to particular things that those friends did really well, I think I just want to affirm that like it's it's really possible for married people and single people um, to develop really good deep relationship with each other. Mm. Um, I think I think that's a there's there's a persistent and troubling myth that says that once once you get married, you should really just go off and have your married friends. Um, and that if you are single, you are doomed to watch all of your single friends cease being your friends because they become married. Right. Um, I think it, it, it all too often does happen that way. But I think that is a, a strategy of the enemy more than it is a naturally built in rhythm of life. Um, because the, the reality, again, the reality is that we're meant to be part of a body together. So, so I, I just want to affirm that, like, it really is possible for married people to, uh, to be really helpful and supportive, to, to, to be the, the needed friends um, for single people in the, in the midst of uh, this journey of following Jesus. Um, some, of the, some of the really helpful things that my married friends have done um, uh, well, for one thing, uh, they they don't try to they don't try to set me up. Well, <laughs> certainly they don't try to set me up anymore. Um, but even before they knew I was gay, even before I was going around and talking about celibacy on the regular, um, they they weren't on a mission to turn me into a carbon copy of them. They were um, not on a mission, or they were. They were not okay. on a mission to turn me into a carbon copy of them. I think for a lot of us, we struggle to show love in a way that is not turning somebody else into a carbon copy of us. Ooh. The temptation is to say, here's what feels good in my life, and I want you to be happy. Therefore, I want to enforce upon you all the things that are working well in my life. Oh, there's um, a blog post. You already wrote it? <laughs> or a book? I haven't written it yet. You got to write that one. You do it. It's all yours. Oh, um, you do it. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I, I think uh, there's 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 this tendency for us to feel like, yeah, I, I just need to reproduce the dynamics of my life in somebody else's life. Um, but the the gift of letting somebody be different from you and and celebrating their difference instead of trying to iron it out uh, is so important, especially when we're talking about something like singleness, where your single friends probably haven't received a ton of encouragement in their vocation from Christian spaces, uh, because Christian spaces generally suck at encouraging single people in their vocation of singleness. Preach. Um, so for you to be the sort of person who actually uh, affirms and supports a single person, not despite, but precisely because of and in the midst of their vocation of singleness, that is such a distinctive gift to offer. Mm. Um, and also, uh, we were talking earlier about the, the the nature of sanctification and saying, like, it is still possible to, to become more, more sanctified as a single person. Um, I would say... Uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about my married friends is that they don't feed me that old lie that says like, oh, you know when you'll truly start to become sanctified? It's when you get married. <gasps> um, Garbage. <laughs> and I mean, I love, I love that married people become more sanctified in marriage. I think that's great. But I dare you married people who have not been single in your 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond, I dare you to go up to somebody who has been single through that entire period yeah. and, and tell them that they don't know the first thing about sanctification because you've seen it all in marriage. Because there is a different but really, really beautiful kind of sanctification that comes when you sort out with Jesus what it looks like to be single for the long haul. It's a good um, word. And so for married people to honor that is just so important. So, okay, you, you said something a little bit back about how there is this rhetoric of, okay, you're, once you get married, you're supposed to just hang out with other married people, and, and we need to confront that. But there is also this kind of natural draw toward people who are in the same kind of life situation. I, I mean, I see it a lot with, you know, guys who will only open up about pornography struggles with a men's group, you know, or, or the singles class at church, or the, the marrieds class at church, or <laughs> the, the marrieds class, I don't know. You know, or, or honestly, like with, I, I do a lot of work with, with LGBT people in counseling, and, and some of them I ask like, okay, who of your friends are not in the LGBT community? And they say none. And, and so there is this kind of natural predisposition in us to, to really make our close friendships people who are a lot like us. And what I hear you saying is we have to fight that. And, and you work at a church. And, and so from a, from a church systems kind of standpoint, how, how do you feel like as the church, as an entity, we can, we can help people fight that kind of knee-jerk reaction to just gather with people who are exactly like we are? Yeah. One thing that I want to that I want to affirm is that I don't think that the impulse to find people with similar experiences and feel a sort of solidarity with them, I think, as you're saying, I, th I think it can be dangerous, but I also don't think it's all bad. Like, I think there are, yeah, there's a there are certain, there are certain times in my own life, certainly where I'm like, Oh, there's just something that I need to process with somebody whose experience has been similar enough to mine that I won't need to explain myself. And we can just kind of like, 
get right to the heart of the matter. Oh, ooh, the heart of the matter. There's my little plug. Uh, Thank uh, you. We can we can jump right into it without needing without needing to go through all the preliminaries first. So th- there is, I think, something that can be really good about that. Um, but I absolutely agree uh, with what you're saying that like there there is this danger as we sort of sequester off into camps. And I think, sadly, uh, churches often kind of feed into and reinforce our desire to sequester ourselves into different camps. Um, here's the singles ministry, you know, here's, here's the, this ministry and that ministry and the, and the smaller we can carve it, the more we can get you with your niche group, um, the, the better off we'll be. Um, and I think what, what saddens me about that so much, uh, is not that I don't like the people in my own group. Uh, it's not that I don't think the other people in their 30s who are single are a cool group of people, um, but it's that I really, really want to learn from my dear friend Jane, who is widowed and in her, I don't know how old, but it's one of the upper decades and she's never told me exactly how old. You know, like I have so much to learn from Jane, um, but nobody would ever think to stick us in the same group together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think. Uh, I think one one concrete thing uh, that that we can do, um, aside from making an effort to get out of those groups and to seek out people who are different from us, um, I think one thing churches can do is try to have people who are obviously different in roles of leadership. Um, I, I know I know for me, uh, I have very rarely been under the spiritual leadership of a single person in a church context. Mm. It just doesn't happen a lot. Um, and, and there are a variety of reasons that it doesn't happen. Um, and, and I've, I've often heard people say that like, oh yeah, married people just feel uncomfortable being, being led by a single person because they don't know what it's like to be married. Uh, I will say I don't particularly buy that argument because if you think that single people are not qualified to spiritually lead married people, like tell that to Jesus and Paul, you know. Right. Um, but uh, but I think to the degree that we can ask ourselves the question, um, are the people leading our faith community are the the people that we're looking to as as models. Do they represent more than one different way of doing life? Um, are they from more than one age demographic? Uh, do we have people, um, do we have not just men leading our church? And I, I won't get on a separate soapbox about how important I think it is for women to be involved in ministry. We don't need to open that can of worms. <laughs> but I will just say that in some capacity or another, uh, women need to be exercising the leadership gifts that the Lord has given them. And mm. if they don't, the church is seriously deficient as a result of that. Why? Yeah. Because we need a vision of leadership that reflects the difference in the body of Christ so that we can see that modeled as participants in the body of Christ Mm. um, so that we can begin more and more to recognize the value of the difference that we have with one another. Mm. Um, I think the more that we see our interaction with other people as meant not just to make us sort of nod along and say, yes, I agree with everything you're saying. Isn't this nice that we're totally on the same page about everything? Um, but to instead say, no, it's actually it's actually good to be in context where somebody can say, I have a different perspective. My experience is so different from yours. We learn so much from that. Um, 
And, and the body becomes so much stronger as a result of that because we're equipped to do more things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so much that Greg Coles can do in the world. And if everybody else in the world just turns out to be a carbon copy of Greg Coles, it's going to be a really deficient world. Um, so true. Not just about Greg Coles, but I mean, the body of Christ. So true. If we're stuck with Greg Coles, what a, what a, what a tragedy that would be. Uh, no. No, no, no. I just realized after I said I was like, wait, but not about you. I mean, we should have a million. Okay, I'll just take my foot right out of my mouth. And uh, I will ask, you know, I asked a... A couple, you and um, David Bennett, to read our book and review it as single people reading a marriage book. And I have been so shocked, though, Greg. I've been so shocked at how many the people, the early readers of single people reading our marriage book, and they've been blessed by it. So I guess I just I would ask, did you feel alienated by our book? Or like, what did you feel about it when you're reading it? This is where you get to gush. No, I really want to know. <laughs> Shut up, Matt. You show me. I have plans. I have plans both to tell Lori what she really wants to know and also to gush uh, in here somewhere. I'm taking my foot again and putting it back in my mouth. Lori, I hope you know how much I love you. I know. Um, I love you too. Uh, so, so I will, I will say this. Um, I generally avoid marriage books. Yeah. Um, I'm not one of those people who's just like, bring on another marriage book. I can't wait. Um, and, and I think, well, there are a number of reasons I avoid marriage books. Uh, one, one, you know, <laughs> there are a number of reasons. I won't get into all of it. I don't need to bash other marriage books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, <laughs> I will say that I think one of the one of the things that can be tricky, like maybe it's just that I don't want to know about all the sex people are having without me. Um, <laughs> so, so, so maybe weirdly, one of the things that I appreciated about your book was that large chunks of it were not about having sex. And I was like, oh, this is such a refreshing change. Yeah. Um, I appreciated the acknowledgement that marriage is not just about sexual bliss all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, that's the uh, opposite of our book. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think what, I, what I loved so much about this book um, is that it makes marriage look really beautiful um, but not in like a fake beautiful way. Mm. Um, not, not, not marriage looks beautiful. Like let's put it on a billboard. Let's make an advertisement out of it. Let's try to convince all the singles why they're so missing out on this glorious thing called marriage. Um, right. Like this is, uh, this is not like a PR book for like hyping up marriage. Uh, this is a book in which marriage looks beautiful precisely because it's really messy yeah. and it's not for everybody quite by quite on purpose um, mm. because it's a really hard calling and in order for it to be a good calling it has to be just that it has to be a calling yeah marriage isn't just something that you hop into because you want the kicks and giggles because you're looking for the warm fuzzy christmas present it's something that's only beautiful if you are called to it by god to walk this really difficult journey yeah um that's it. And so as I was reading it, I could both recognize the beauty of the journey and simultaneously recognize the fact that I was called to a different journey. Mm. Um, and as I saw what was difficult about your journey, I could look at my own journey and say, hey, my journey has also been difficult in different ways. And maybe the fact that it was difficult is not a problem. Maybe that is also part of the thing that we are called to. Mm. Um, 
I think ultimately the 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 story of uh, of your book it, it's a story about about pursuing with love and about being pursued with love, um, and mm-hmm. for all of us that is that is the story that we live. That is the story of the gospel. It's the story of our relationship with Jesus. Um, it's the story of how we seek to pour ourselves out for others, um, and that's a universal story. Uh, the, the 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 human marriage is not a universal story, uh, but the marriage, the the grand divine marriage, is a universal story that we all get to partake in. Mm. Um, and in in the in the realness and the rawness of of pursuing and being pursued with love, uh, I, I felt like I I saw myself uh, with with Jesus uh, in in a weird kind of way. Mm. Um, and I think I could use every reminder and every possible embodiment of that that I can possibly get. Mm, That's really great. Thank you. I really wasn't looking. I really did want to know because it's honestly been interesting to me is I've just like, okay, God, if marriage is actually a gospel picture and you're the one, do you know how many times I said, this is your book. You're making us write. Why don't you write it? That's how I talk to Jesus sometimes. So, okay. But like, if I'm like, okay, if this is actually something you created and this is a gospel metaphor, then there's going to be something that single people are going to reap from it because it's going to be about you. And so I honestly, I really truly was wondering, Matt, the gushing thing, goodness. But I really, that is what you're saying and what we're saying back and forth and even this whole marriage singleness conversation is it's all about Jesus. It's our life is about surrender and there's different equal, beautiful vocations where you get sanctified in both <laughs> and you get blessed and gifted in both uh, to be a blessing and gift to the world. Any last words, man? Any last encouragement for people who are listening? I find myself constantly coming back to one of my one of my favorite passages in the Bible, which is so good that it's in all three of the synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 and Luke 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the moment where where Peter is asking Jesus, like, hey, we left everything to follow you. So like, do we do we get anything <laughs> as a result of that? Like, is there anything left for us? Hey, um, and 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 what uh, what what Jesus says to says to Peter is uh, truly, I tell you, there's no one who has left home or fathers or mothers or sisters or brothers or wives or children or fields um, who will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Um, and uh, I, there are so many things I love about that passage. And I've, I've talked about it so many times in so many contexts, There's so many things that it, it's a gift that keeps giving in my life. But one of the one of the reminders that has been such a gift to me um, is that there is this there's this gamble that we take when we follow Jesus um, that that when Jesus calls us to the vocation he calls us to and if it's actually Jesus who's doing the calling to our vocation uh, then it will be a vocation um, that in some ways looks like a death to ourselves um, it will be a vocation that looks like the loss of some of the things that we thought we needed in mm. order to be happy. Um, and yet the gamble of following Jesus is that as you lean into that vocation, as you do say, yes, I will follow you, even though it means leaving behind X, Y, and Z, 
Jesus says, actually, I have so much better of a plan for you. I have a kind of belonging for you that's so much better than any kind of belonging that you could have conjured up for yourself on your own strength. Um, Hmm. And I know in my life that has been so true that uh, in, in the, you know, in, in the, in the town that I live in now, I don't have any immediate biological family. Uh, I don't have a spouse or a boyfriend or anything else. I don't have any biological children. Um, And yet I have family Um, And not just like I have church family who I feel required to call family, even though all we do is show up in a church building and shake hands and then leave. We don't even do that anymore because COVID, you know, but um, but but it's it's more than that. It's that I have people who genuinely feel like family uh, to me. And. And I often find myself when I'm talking with other single folks, uh, I just find myself saying, I can't, I can't promise you that your life will look like my life. Uh, I don't know how Jesus is going to keep his promise in your life. Um, but the promise is the same for you as it is for me. And if, if we really believe that Jesus keeps his promises, then we might as well believe that he's going to keep this one. And if we don't believe that Jesus keeps his promises, then really what are any of us doing? Like, why are we even wasting our time with this, this whole gospel idea in the first place? Um, but there is, I think, a gift to be found. Um, and it doesn't always look like the sort of gift that we want it to. Um, but it turns out in the end to be so much better than the things that we thought we needed in order to be happy. Dang, Greg, you make me love Jesus more. Thank you. Thank you. You really do. You embody you're the ideal single person. No, I'm just kidding. No, but you do, you embody what you preach. You practice what you preach. And I feel super, I'm like, man, I want to be like Greg <laughs> in a good way. Cause I want to be like Jesus in you. So thank you for preaching a good word today and exhorting us. Um, and I believe our listeners. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me. For the record, I could gush more, but let me just say briefly, you guys are also such an encouragement to me. I'll leave it at that. All right. I'm so embarrassed. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Oh, man. Guys, okay. If you want this book, you can get it for 30% off discount. Use the code LOVE30 at IVPress. Dot com ivpress.com love 30 is the coupon code 30% off and free shipping if you want to check it out uh, Greg endorsed it so he's he's been gushing for a little while bless him but no I'm super thankful for him and his heart and um, just man for showing us how beautiful Jesus is guys we do have a question of the week for next week though and it's a little more serious we like to mix it up what's something you're actually thankful for about this year I see lots of, oh, 2020, am I right? Which you're not wrong. Was there anything you're actually thankful for? Hit us up, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just, I don't know, follow me on something. I at least post it somewhere, probably on Facebook. (laughs) So follow me there, I'll post it. We'd love to get your answers. Thanks again to Greg Coles and for all of us here at the Hold My Heart Podcast. We'll see you all next week.